0: Thank you for tuning in to the VF1 Show with VF and Vincenzo, the podcast that discusses all things business, marketing, politics, and government within the world of Formula One. If that's your thing, then you found the right place. So without further ado, it's lights out and away we go.
1: Welcome back to the VF1 Show. I'm your host, Vincenzo Landino. Joining me this week, back from Harvard graduation, she's now officially smarter, or the smartest person in this podcast which she was before but now she has a certificate that says so bf castro how does it feel being a graduate of one of if not the most prestigious universities on this here earth
0: yeah it feels weird i I still don't know how to feel like i I was telling you in the pre-show that it's just a lot more pressure i feel like as an adult now to like go off and do do good things but i don't know i guess i'll figure it out i think right now I feel like I'm hungover, and I have felt this way for the past week because it was just a very stressful week. I need a vacation for my vacation, but anyway, how are you?
1: It wasn't vacation; you were a stressful thing. It was. You were. You were...
0: It was work. <laughs> it was. And yeah, did I was, see that Tom stressful.
1: Hanks? Tom Hanks gave the commencement commencement speech.
0: Yeah, yeah, he was the the keynote. No big for... deal. No big deal. Exactly. We only had like I think we were fifty feet I want to stay away from him so that was kind of awesome like you think Harvard Yard is so like big but then you get there for graduation and there's like 15,000 people or 30,000 people or something in Harvard Yard and you're like wow this place is never that's wild smaller yeah but I don't know it was it was a very long day I was up at 4 a.m. I don't think I went to bed until I want to say 9 or 10 and the second I got back into my hotel room I literally in full cap gown everything just got in bed (laughs) I was like I do not have time for this I mean you know
1: I could I totally could understand that it's like
0: exactly
1: the emotion and the heightened kind of the excitement the adrenaline that just hits you that's got to be
0: yeah it was a it was an experience for sure I think it's one of those biblical type experiences that like if you get it, you get it. If you don't, you don't. But maybe that's some people how some people react to some F1 races, I guess. I don't know. Like if there's like yeah. a race you wanted to go to your whole life and you finally get to go. And it's like it's just really exciting. But I don't know. I'm glad it's over. How are you? How was your week?
1: It was fantastic. Honestly, so uh proud of you. The show went on without you here. Uh
0: you guys yeah. did good. I mean I'm proud. Thank
1: you. Thank you. Molly is fantastic at we talking all things um, just oh absolutely love her but she's fantastic at talking all things all different um, series she can talk kind of across it so I'm, I'm really glad that we were able to have her didn't get as technical as I wanted to uh, and that's probably just because of my own insecurities about getting <laughs> super technical uh, with someone who knows a lot about technical and yeah. Uh, but today we will have a little bit about uh, something that is in her wheelhouse and we'll actually have her back on uh, talking to us a little bit about uh, something called balance of power, uh, balance of performance. I'm sorry. And there was, there was a,
0: is this a foreign relations like foreign, conversation? Yeah. Is this a foreign relations podcast now?
1: <laughs> yeah, seriously. Right. Um, so I want to talk about balance of performance with the uh, Lamont Um, announcement earlier this week, along with an F1 idea of that coming in 26, maybe. Um, We'll talk about TV numbers this past weekend. Uh, For Indy 500, Monaco Grand Prix, and the Coca-Cola 600, we had all three of those uh, cornerstone races for each series happen on the same weekend as it usually does. Uh, we'll talk about Aston Martin leveraging F1 for their own commercial gain, and we will finish it off with some F1 and Sky Sports, some kiddie stuff happening for the kids, some broadcasting for the kids, which is interesting because here in the U.S. we've seen that elsewhere. But that's the rundown. Let's uh, let's kick this one off with um, let's just let's just go right into the numbers, the TV numbers from from this weekend. I'll give the rundown and then, then you can kind of talk about it. Um, the 107th running of the Indy 500 saw a 2% increase in viewership over uh, last year at 4.92 million viewers. Uh, the Monaco Grand Prix saw the largest US audience, uh, largest live US audience ever for the Monaco Grand Prix, and it, the third largest ever Formula One race ever in the US with 1.79 million viewers. And the Coca-Cola 600, which dropped 13% year over year uh, due to the rain delayed, uh, got delayed till Monday, which is actual Memorial Day, it got delayed to, um, they, they still had 3.4 million viewers tune in for that race. So uh, yeah, some big numbers across the board, quick thoughts, quick uh, reaction to those.
0: Yeah, I think what it shows, and we've talked about this a couple of different times um, throughout this the duration of our podcast, that when it comes to F1, they always talk about sustainability. Is this rise in popularity sustainable? Is it actually something that long-term F1 can look forward to? Or is this sort of, you know, are we in burnout mode from drive to survive from COVID people watching, you know, less TV, et cetera. So I think what happened during, um, the Monaco Grand Prix being the, uh, third largest race ever for F1 in, in the United States, that is a really big deal for F1 because when you think about Monaco, it's such a boring race, and it's very predictable and like we talked about uh before that the only real outlier with monaco is rain and that it's it's rare really so for that to happen and that to garner that many you know that high of tv numbers i think shows that f1 is is still gaining in popularity in america Uh, in terms of the other series Obviously, I think there has to be some kind of um, domino effect with motorsports. I think more people are interested in motorsports than they've ever been. And if you start to see Indy 500 numbers rising, you know, we talked about Coca-Cola 600, like if those numbers continue to rise, I I would really be curious to see what is actually driving that um, because... It's it's just been a strange phenomena that you know since COVID, more and more people are interested in motorsports.
1: Mm. Yeah, um, I think that with you know series like you said, drive to survive, but Indy did their their hundred days to Indy docu series, which yeah was met with a ton of uh you know excitement and it was good I enjoyed it I actually I haven't even finished it i I, there, I have an episode I'm an episode behind I think they're done with it i'm not, I'm not even sure but um, it it helped them I mean that was not only uh, a two percent increase over last year but the in-person attendance for the race um, they said they drew a crowd of at least three hundred and thirty thousand it was the largest since the sellout. Uh, for the hundredth running in twenty sixteen, and it was the second largest in in over two decades. Hmm. Like that's that's massive. So people are turning out now. Of course, Indy is. Indy is like the Super Bowl of motorsports. I think I, I would. I, I think it's very difficult to compare the Indianapolis five hundred to other, any other race. Yeah. Um, especially when you you know the Coca Cola six hundred for NASCAR, which is their crown jewel at the Charlotte motor speedway. The reason why it was 600 miles is because the Indy 500 is 500 miles. So they were like, well, how can we one up Indy? Right. Um, it's so, so Indy is the, is the, the benchmark as to which others kind of compare themselves to Uh, maybe, maybe Monaco and F1 don't compare themselves to, but, uh, we talked about this last week with Molly where, you know, F1 and IndyCar in a little spat right now over the greatest spectacle in racing. I mean, IndyCar truly is it. There is no, there's no doubting that in my mind. And there's really no comparison. There's nothing that any, like there's nothing that F1 puts out that compares to Indianapolis 500. It's literally a month long and people are turning out to watch, you know, five hour practice sessions on TV. I mean, I watched, not all of the practice sessions but I watched a lot of them. It was yeah. fascinating, right? It's just it's, it's, it's 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 truly a spectacle. And the racing is exciting, right? You've got tons mm-hmm. of passing, you've got these cars going 233 35 36 miles an hour. Um it's 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 wild, right? And in I I enjoy the fact that Indy has said, and I know that for some people, they were, uh, upset, you know, tinfoil hat moments where it's like, oh, you know, it ended with a red flag. Or there was a red flag and that's, you know, why did it end like that? But Indy has sets, um, kind of like set, set out the standard that they want these races to end under green conditions, yeah. similar to, NASCAR, now NASCAR has overtime to ensure you finish under green conditions. I'm not saying those are the perfect answers, right? But I'm saying that that could definitely help a sport like F1 where it's like, listen, I don't want to call it overtime or whatever, but we we want to finish these, you know, we want to finish under green track conditions. You want to actually have a race. Now, you know, controversy is like what happened with the 2021 Abu Dhabi, which, you know, essentially rules were broken or disregarded yeah. to get there. But if you have rules or regulations that state, you know, that this is an option, I think it's a great option. You know, I think it's a great option. And I don't know. And again, as a, the purist in me says this, that's stupid. But the how do I grow my business side of me says okay that's probably a good trade off now I know we're talking about TV numbers and I know we're talking about three races that saw pretty solid numbers I mean NASCAR all things considered because of the rain delay had a drop but still uh, you know doubled F1's viewership Um, yeah I don't know I'll I'll, I'll just take what what you want from what I just said (laughs) again
0: <laughs> I think it's all part and parcel, though. Um, we talk about how the FIA just makes things up as they go. There's really there isn't a lot of continuity, and they try and explain something. It's like it doesn't make sense. A lot of the things that they determine, rulings, etc., they're very illogical in nature, and there's there's very little continuity in all this. So I think that getting mm-hmm. the FIA to give us sort of a black and white, hey, we're going to predict every single scenario and situation that could possibly happen. We've got engineers, we've got meteorologists, we've got all sorts of people on deck to try and um, predetermine any sort of outcome for any race. And if they did that and preemptively created protocols, I don't yeah. think we would have half the controversies that we have in Formula One, but they won't do that, which is crazy. Because again, like when you think about the fact that F1 alone is the single, pretty much like driver of FIA's, you know, ability to operate, um, they should be doing this. If we want an improved product, if we want more continuity, and I think that's a big problem we have with newer Formula 1 fans, and I have spoken to newer Formula 1 fans, and this is literally what they say is that you've got the rules and then you've got this loose interpretation of the rules, which makes F1 very political in nature. People are always commenting, is this being done to prevent this team from doing X or Y or whatever? And that's not good for... Building the sport for sustaining the, this increase in numbers and, and I think f1 needs to get back to the kitchen or rather fia needs to get back in the kitchen and really decide how they're going to mitigate these things because if they want to continue to run with the narrative of oh but, you know f1 isn't political or the fia isn't political we sometimes make mistakes and why race after race does something happen that is political in nature that makes people not trust the fia And you have that in almost every other motorsports. Like there's a lot of black and white continuity, but it just seems to be missing on F1. And frankly, F1 has way too high of evaluation. There's way too many viewers. There's way too much involved and invested in formula one for them to just sort of make shit up as they go.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There was a, um, I, I guess not to switch too hard, but, uh, there was an article I saw uh, earlier today about IndyCar and F one, and it was like uh, somebody slamming Zach Brown. I, I, I know this sounds like I am going off the rails. I am truly trying not to, um, <laughs> but essentially, it's like Zach Brown is taking criticism because he's bringing the F one elitism to Indy to IndyCar. Mm. And uh, it was – there was a part about Alex Rossi and how, you know, he said that basically like going to F1 basically, you know, after this head and just the treatment of like getting dropped, being lied to, like all this stuff, you know, it was like it, – it was, it was fascinating. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, is there – uh, does F1 – to some and not to all, right, to those that have been fans for a long time. Maybe have, don't see it or whatever, but is there that in the back of uh, or, or the feeling, the taste that's been left in people's mouths? If you're not a uh, F1 purist or an F1 longtime F1 fan, if you're just a motorsport person, if you're an American, you know, IndyCar fan, or do you think that hey, you know what, F1 is they're just elitist pricks, and we don't want like stay away from stay away from our just right. leave us alone. And that—I yeah. mean—that's literally what this what this article was saying. And and I, and again, I know the source was not. It was an Indie Star um, reporter who apparently gets kind of pretty. He's gotten crapped on before for some of the stuff he writes, but you know, is <laughs> well, is mean, that something to be consider? Like,
0: well, I think in this we have to consider Zach Brown is is an American, first off, and he's not you know new to motorsports at all. Sure, and. So for people to say, oh, Zach Brown is infiltrating American racing and he's mm. trying to F1 or American role. First off, he is American. Yeah. You cannot take that away from him, no matter what team he's the CEO of. Um, so, again, I think with F1, we we can all say F1 is very elite. I mean, it's to the point where... You've got camera people who are basically told, pick up as many sponsors on camera as humanly possible. You know, it's almost like racing is secondary in a lot of these shots. And that's not fair to the racing. It's not fair to the fans. And, and people have expressed their concern over that, you know, many times over because it's becoming very obvious. You know, when you start to see more signage than racing, it's... You know, it, it, and the signage becomes more distracting. You, it's like hard mm. to follow the cars because it's just everywhere you look, there is some sort of advertisement. And even with F, even with McLaren now, they've got digital advertisements on their cars. Like if that's not distracting, I don't know what is. Yeah. So, I do understand that maybe some American motorsports purists are looking at the sponsorification of Formula One and saying we don't want that in American motor racing. And we understand that there's a lot of money involved, but at the same time, the sponsorships should not take precedence over the racing itself. Why are the sponsors here because of the racing? So I don't know. I think that if you started seeing Indy 500 or any other race with like a shit ton of like Rolex signage or, you know, anything like people would be very quick to just be like, stop. Like, what are we, what are we doing? So I think that maybe is, is kind of what people are more concerned about, but I just don't see that happening in American sports, American motor racing. I hope it doesn't happen because even, Mm. even uh, NFL, NBA, uh, you know, American, like major sports here, the advertisements are not distractions from the product even with nba you've got those like the the tickers in the background where the where the advertisement changes every couple of minutes
1: yeah the not Dash even that
0: are. yeah not even that's distracting you're watching what you're watching so yeah i don't know like i said maybe this is just a an f1 thing maybe this is just an intrinsically f1 problem but i don't know i wouldn't i wouldn't put too much stock in in the whole zach
1: yeah, Brown yeah. no no and, and and i don't i don't yeah I know, I know i think well uh I want to shift on to another Americanization of, of things in a second. I'm going to leave this last thought. To me, NASCAR still remains the series to beat in the U.S. There's there's no doubt in that. Um, this weekend, IndyCar obviously comes out on top because of just how massive the Indy 500 is. Um, yeah. Just the name Indy 500 kind of brings back, you know. The glory days, and you've got there's just so much with the Indy 500. But F1 continues to trend in the right direction and is only becoming more and more relevant as we get more expansion into the United States. And that's this is not to say, mm-hmm. oh, it's, because I know people are going to listen to that and say, oh, you're saying that F1 is not relevant without the United States. No, I'm saying it's becoming more relevant to US and U.S. motorsports as they continue their global – or as they continue their expansion into here. So it will be very, very interesting to see what we get as we get another race here in the U.S.
0: Yeah, but again – they have to continue to work on improving the product on field because on track 100%. because this whole Mercedes dominance and then Red Bull dominance. And then back in the day it was Ferrari dominance. I mean, this whole period of dominance, it makes for very boring racing where people just kind of lose interest because every race becomes predictable. And I think the only thing that wasn't predictable in this race was Checo finishing outside the points. Um, mm-hmm. And that's not, that's not good for the sport. I mean, I think people were excited to see Mercedes upgrades last last, last week, but again, with the caveat knowing that Red Bull was probably going to run the table. Like, how much excitement can you possibly get from that? I I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know where where F one needs to go from there without trying to sit there, you know, because you know what what would what would happen. People would say, "Oh, yeah. you're stifling competition. Sure. You're trying to punish the, the the best teams for doing the you know the most work. It's not our fault. We have Adrian Newey, and you have no one. Um, you know, it's how do you resolve that without punishing the teams that have used their resources, to, you know, maximize their resources? I, I don't know." I I genuinely don't know where F1 goes from here, but I do see a lot of people starting to lose interest. I I have friends right now. They won't actually watch races on Sunday. They'll kind of watch like little snippets of it because they already know what's going to happen. So I don't know. I don't know what we do.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no. I. um, (laughs) Here's what F1 thinks might be a solution to some of their problem, right? F1 released um, a press release yesterday or put out a press release yesterday. They're going to have a new international feed. This is going to be starting, or not starting, but it's going to be for the Hungary Grand Prix, Hungarian GP. Um, A new international feed with custom graphics, sound effects, special elements like 3D augmented visuals on certain camera angles geared towards kids. Kids. Uh, Ian Holmes, the director of media rights and content creation at F1, said, we want to ensure our fans of all ages can enjoy and fall in love with Formula One. So working with our longstanding partners at Sky on this project to target younger audience is really exciting. They're also going to have F1 Juniors, which follows Sky's uh, Premier League Juniors uh, back in December, which saw young football fans uh, take on kind of similar roles as uh, 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 they did during the Premier League fixture between Brent, Brentford and Liverpool where they were commentators and they were reporting and it was kids it was kids along with you know along with um, other seasoned uh, uh, commentators we had this in in the US we've, we've yeah. seen this with the NFL multiple games they've done this with where they partnered with Nickelodeon and on a completely different channel than normal, which now I understand that like in the UK and in Germany where they're planning on rolling this out, you could just hit a button and it kind of changes the feed, right? We don't I don't we don't have anything like that in the US. there's just different channels. Um, and it was you know they would have like a slime monster come in when a team was getting towards the uh, you know within the red zone or they'd have slime cannons go off when, a team scored a touchdown they'd have spongebob square pants in the inside the goalposts when a field goal was being kicked or they'd have uh uh you know other characters come on and like talk and, and, and say things uh during you know different moments of of the game and i i don't i don't know what the efficacy of this is for the nfl like i don't know if this were you know it clearly was it worked a little bit um they kept doing it and it seems pretty cool plus they had you know they had kids doing interviews of of players on the field like the 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 players seemed to like it the kids you know obviously loved it um do you think this is the answer for f1 or could it be the answer
0: i think a lot of issues that maybe perhaps some parents have had i know that that some of my friends who aren't even parents have had issues with this is I think the sexualization of the grid walk, the paddock, all that kind of stuff where, you know, some of the outfits that some of these celebrities are wearing are just, they're not very appropriate, I think, for a Formula One race. Uh, they're more like on brand for Coachella or, <laughs> you know, some other rave. Okay. Um, I don't, I don't want to say, again, I'm not a parent, so I don't really know. But I do know that when I was a professional child, <laughs> <that> <laughs> anytime I would be watching some sport thing with my parents, whether it was, I mean, growing up in Southern California, I mean, there's lots of you know volleyball on, et cetera. Anytime someone with like a skimpy anything would be on the TV, my mom would be like, turn your heads, don't look, kids, don't look. <laughs> Very conservative. And so maybe this is some sort of reaction to kind of get kids, you know, to not watch that component because it is fun. Everybody loves seeing Brundles Red Walk. Everyone loves, you know, seeing the the you know excitement of the of the tr of the um the teams and what they're doing pre-race. So maybe this is just going to give maybe kids another lens into the sport, perhaps in In a way that would help them better understand the sport because F1 is a very technical sport. And there are so many things about the sport that not even adults can grasp. I mean, there are things that I don't even understand. Mm -hmm. Like, I have to review and read and look at YouTube videos just to really understand what I'm looking at. And, you know, so for a child, it's like, how can we break this down in the most simplified terms that not only gets the kid excited about the sport, but helps them with that information retention. Um, And maybe that's how you build fans from a young age Uh, because the U S we don't have carding. We don't have those, those things that they have in the UK. I mean, we have carding in the U S it's just not as big as the UK. So maybe this is just a way of getting kids closer to the action without their parents having to kind of be like, what the hell is my kid going to see five seconds from now? So I, I don't know i think it's a good thing i i just wonder if um you know as jensen button said we may find the next Crofty or naomi schiff well i wonder if they're going to have some sort of like maybe contest or if it's going to maybe become a talent farm because with Formula One, I know that they have their, their talent scouts kind of looking on social media, TikTok, et cetera, trying to find the next, the next big thing. I think Mm -hmm. that um, there's, there's so many people who have emerged in Formula One that came from TikTok, that came from Instagram. So I really wonder if F1 could potentially down the line, have some sort of maybe talent farm uh, for kids to kind of be like, if you want to get into this, this is where you should go to university. This is what you should study. It's the, sure. this is a juniors program for maybe um, uh, production for kids, et cetera, et cetera. So I wonder how they're how much they're going to expand this because I know in the U.S. I mean, it's we've got Nickelodeon and that's kind of I think the extent of it. We don't really see much from these kids thereafter. So I don't know. I, I'm I'm optimistic about this. I'm excited about this. I just I hope that they have something in place that actually. Um, makes this sort of more of a developmental thing, and not just an entertainment thing.
1: Yeah, I to me it almost feels like band aids. Yeah, right. It's like what we talked about this in the in the last in just just this last segment. It's 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 like what do we do to fix the broadcast? And, and, and actually, this is a perfect, this is a perfect thing to talk about right now because we can talk about um, the Monaco broadcast and, and how F1 took that over and whatnot as well. But let's talk about the kids for a second. This is like, all right, how do we, how do we just change the perception of the sport rather than actually fix the product on track, which would naturally change how things are perceived? Yes, it may take longer, but it's like, well, what can we do right this second to take advantage of this, I don't know, growing, like, is it a, is that a growing segment? I got to look at the numbers. I don't know that, you know, the five to nine year old, I, cause I don't know. And again, now F1 may do something different. I'm just, I'm going based off of, you know, what I saw with. The NFL, but if they do something a little bit more like the Premier League, maybe you've got kids that are like 12, 13 that might actually care about it a little bit. So maybe you get this 7 to 13, 6 to 13 range. But, and and I'm going to sound like an old, you know, curmudgeon, old man shaking at the cloud type thing for a second. But, you know, back in the day, back in my day, like we went to the (laughs) racetrack with my dad, with my uncles um, we'd make weekends of it and we'd go and we'd sit out on the lawn and watch, watch the race cars go by, you know, we'd go stand in, you know, we'd go walk through the garage and we'd go walk through the pits and whatnot that we could, um, we'd go to Lime Rock up in, up in, uh, Connecticut a lot. And that's how the love of that you know, grew, karting, you know, we'd go, we we do a lot of go-karting, not, not karting, like in the sense of Formula One se- feeder series, but like we'd go go-karting. We'd go, we would, you know, uh, do stuff like that, where it inspired that love and that passion for, for, you know, cars in general and, and motorsport. And not just me, my, my, my cousins, f- female cousins, also like got a passion for it because of just because of being around it. I don't think there was any television broadcast gimmick that could have ever gotten me to be like wow, I suddenly love motorsports. Right? Yeah. Without actually feeling the cars and hearing them and being around them and seeing how fast they go and like that's irreplaceable. So if I'm F1, that's what I'm focusing on. If I'm trying to get kids Watching it, you got to get kids at, butts in seats at at racetracks. Meaning, you have to make tickets more affordable for families of four and five, right? Yeah. Like again, we can. It's a whole rabbit hole we could go down, but that's where I like that for me is where I think this is just like yeah, this is nice. Like okay, fine, you're going to do this this cool thing. And again, I also understand there's so many other at, uh, facets of motorsport. That are now interesting specifically with stem and all that stuff right science and technology math there's all these other things that kids can aspire to be not just a race car driver but they could you know be an engineer they can be an aerodynamicist like there's so many other things now you could be a broadcaster that's awesome and i think this is great but i think at its core where you really need to figure out is how to get butts in seats at the tracks, people wanting to be there, feel the cars, make it inaccessible. You know, this is where series like IMSA, you know, blow it away because you have that opportunity to really be down there, near the cars, walking through. I mean, my good friend Jamie Price, photographer, he does a lot of IMSA, WEC, Formula One, uh, does all all the motors, you know, like everything, and he says it all the time. IMSA is the greatest deal, especially for families. And it's like dirt cheap tickets, like a hundred bucks for the entire weekend, 50 bucks, whatever it is. It's like, it's absolutely dirt cheap and the access you have is ridiculous. So if you're trying to like, I don't get your kid interested in motorsport, your kid is interested in motorsport, like where are you going to go? You're going to go spend, you know, $10,000 to go to an F1 race and you don't really have much access. For your kid to get excited, or are you gonna go to somewhere, you know, a local track? Cars are still really fast, the racing is still really good, or is really good, sorry. And your kid can actually feel it, see it, touch it. Yeah. Like, I don't know. That's so, so that's why I get a little bit turned off by stuff like this, where it's like, okay, it's just this, this is a symptom. This is not the underlying, like, this is not hitting the underlying cause.
0: But that's why I was saying, like, if there was some sort of developmental, you know, program that F1 rolled out for maybe future broadcasters, et cetera, uh, maybe that would be something that be a little more tangible. But no, I completely agree. I think that if they want to be seen as a serious, entity when it actually comes to development, getting kids up front and close to these cars. I mean, again, remembering that F1 is still a very European series and people can say, Oh, it's being American. It's it's et cetera, et cetera, all they want to. But at the end of the day, these, these, um, these teams are based out of the UK F1 it's, it's, um, um, Broadcasting headquarters are, are based out of the UK. And so it's still very much like if you're an American and you're a broadcaster and you really want to get into F1, it's almost like you either have to become a viral sensation on, on social media, which is really, really hard to do, or you have to apply the old fashioned way and move to the UK and like be fully committed. And that is that really attracting the best talent or is that just attracting the talent that's willing to move? Um, You know, and I think that that's where a lot of remote working arguments come into play. It's like some of your best talent is located outside of your own country that could fill the job you need. Um, And so, yeah, I think that in terms of F1 actually getting kids closer to cars, yeah, maybe having some sort of kid discount or family discount. I, I again, you would have people say, "Oh, that's discrimination. Hey, can I borrow your kids so I can get a discount on a raise? I, I see that becoming a concern. But at the same time, if they want to get kids closer to the action, they have to figure something else out because we know inflation is something that's it's not just affecting the US, it's affecting the rest of the world. Uh cost of living is affecting the rest of the you know the entire country, the entire globe. And when people are talking about their discretionary income f1 races are not they're not really going to be on the table for most families so yeah again to the band-aid point i completely agree but if if they can create something a little more tangible out of this then that would be great if not how are they going to find the next crofty or the next naomi schiff if it's just hey let's let's give you a mic for a day and you know see what you can do that's not really giving a kid much yeah So No, I I, listen, I'm
1: I am very curious to see what what happens. And again, this can be a one off broadcast thing. You know what I mean? Like also only in the UK and Germany. So maybe they've seen something in those two markets that deem this the best place to roll it out. Whatever it is. I'm sure there's smarter people than me that are that have looked into this and, and said, Hey, this is a great place to roll it out. Um, I will be very curious to see how it, how it ends up in Germany and the UK, like how many people are actually going to switch over to that feed? Uh, yeah, that'll be, that'll be pretty interesting. Um, speaking of, speaking of better on track product, it was a recent announcement. This was, uh, before Le Mans. And I know we're switching away from, we're seemingly switching away from formula one, but we're not, I promise um a balance of power now for those uh, i keep saying power and <laughs> balance of performance so balance of performance is a regulation and a mechanism that maintains some sort of parity between competing vehicles by adjusting limits on a car's parameters such as horsepower weight engine management aerodynamics to prevent a single manufacturer from becoming dominant in a racing class or series that is the definition of uh of balance of performance. <clears throat> now, Le Mans, Luma announced yesterday, it was either yesterday or a couple days ago, um, a small change for Le Mans. Ferrari and Toyota have been slowed down significantly compared to their main rivals. They're now running with an additional Ferrari with 24 kilograms, Toyota with 37 kilograms of additional ballast. In the case of Toyota, this means they are now at the maximum weight limit, and because hypercar regulations only allow for ballasts up to 50 kilograms um, to be installed, well, actually, because they already have, I think, 13, so now they're at the absolute max of 50 kilograms to be installed. Um, They're running at uh, 1,080 kilograms. They've reached their limit. Cadillac and Porsche have received minor adjustments. So to make up for the additional energy the cars will now use because they're carrying more weight, um, Cadillac, Ferrari, and Toyota also received a few... Um, kind of a little bit extra energy for their cars. Uh, the Peugeot, Glickenhaus, and Van Waal are completely untouched. So it's, it's, it's like they're, they're able to change this based on what's happened over the first races of the season. The balance of performance change... Um, is going to be very unpopular with Toyota. They have pretty much they've won 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, 20 uh, 22. So it's it's sim- are you hearing the similarities to F1 right now, right? Mm-hmm. We've got someone winning races all the time. Um nobody wants to see them just win again and run away with it. Dominate other than if you're a Toyota fan, right? Or if you are a Toyota. Um the pecking order for Le Mans is almost essentially changed here will these balance of performance adjustments make that big of a difference or like what's going to happen here now i want to bring in my tech expert molly she made a video back in 22 i think august of last year she made this video about uh f1 and the regulations that we're going to see in uh, 26. One of the things that was written in the regulations, now it's a 70 some odd page document. One of the things written in there is that any power unit manufacturer whose internal combustion engine power is more than 3% below that of the highest ice power recorded amongst all unit manufacturers will be granted additional development and upgrade opportunities. Yeah that's that now molly says it better and i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna hand it off to her right now
2: i don't know if anybody read the 78 page document that was put out with the new power unit regulations today but this section stuck out to me quite a bit, and we should probably talk about it. Rule basically states that in the first five races of a championship season, the FIA will monitor power units supplied by manufacturers to each of their customers. For any manufacturer whose ice power, so that's their engine power, is 3% less than the highest ice power recorded in this five race data set, will be awarded additional development and upgrade opportunities. That's huge. What's kind of my brain goes to are all of the manufacturers just going to sandbag and see who can sandbag the worst to get these development opportunities and then who's going to get screwed over by that in the end, you know? It's kind of this very scary precedent to be awarding additional development and upgrade opportunities based on power. This just screams and echoes the issues that are going on in series like WEC and EMSA with BOP and some of the growing pains that MotoGP had because if you recall what MotoGP does, MotoGP awards unlimited engine allocations, more testing time, upgrade opportunities to teams that don't score a podium or points in a certain number of years and then those go away once they've met certain conditions which is a great system in my opinion but it took a lot to get the teams on board to do that. We know what the teams are capable of and I know the moment that somebody gets this extra upgrades, these extra development opportunities, the other teams are going to be kicking and screaming and fighting it tooth and nail. Claiming it's unfair, claiming all of these things because they didn't get that opportunity. Is it going to be one team a year? Is there going to be two manufacturers a year? How many teams are going to get it? I love the idea of parody and I love what they're trying to do with this, but in the end, is there really a benefit? So, I mean, unless these first five races are diverse enough, is that data set really good in assessing the 3% rule across all the manufacturers and their customer teams? Um, like, are they all going to be similar type of tracks? Are there going to be tracks that don't have a long straight? Is there going to be a lower down force track in there, a high down force track in there? There's really a lot that needs to go into it to make sure that this is as fair as possible, the data is as complete as possible to make this 3% assessment. And so unless there is a really robust whistleblowing rule penalty, some kind of mechanism that protects from teams taking advantage of this, it's a really, really scary precedent, if you ask me. And I'm going to be very interested to see how this goes with the regs in 2026 once we get there and what it's not only going to mean for the parity of teams, but who's going to try and exploit this to get additional development and get additional opportunities for their power unit because we are in this era of a cost cap on the power unit now with the new regulations and all of this kind of prescriptive regulation, who's going to try and get the leg up because you know the teams are going to try.
1: Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Uh, what do you yeah. think VF, about balance of performance and somehow coming to F1 in an official capacity instead of just, technical directive being dropped in the middle of the season
0: i mean we can't sit there and say we don't like it when teams dominate and that's you know making the sport boring etc and then not be in support of some type of performance um adjustment right Mm uh i i'm not sure what that would look like for formula one though i mean I think you're going to start to see a lot more cheating happening in the next couple of years. Uh, And I think that what happened with Red Bull kind of set that precedence. Like, who gives a shit, really? Like, you know? Um, So, again, I'm not exactly sure how Formula One would do that.
1: Um, Yeah.
0: I don't know. It's...
1: So the interesting aspect is um, and, and Molly said it, uh, you know, and she opened up kind of with it is that they would take a look at the first five races and say and determine and then take averages of all the power output and determine, okay, you know, Williams, Haas, Alfa Romeo, you, you're, you're not within this 3% threshold. We're granting you additional time, additional op- upgrade opportunities. My thing with that, and while it sounds great in theory, right? Oh, wow, that's great. It's going to help these teams at the bottom. Because realistically, they're still not going to be able to make up the difference. A Red Bull, you know, look at it, look at Red Bull. Five races, six races, whatever it is, and they've won them all. Okay, like, is, is suddenly Williams going to make, make up all that difference because they get a couple extra, you know, wind tunnel hours or upgrade opportunities? No, let, let's let's be real. It's just not gonna happen. Like Red Bull's just too far ahead. So in theory, it sounds great. Right? In practical application, though, and Molly says, will there be sandbagging? Uh, is there mm-hmm. a true indicator? The first five races could all be five you know, very different racetracks, especially if a a race like, let's say Monaco is in that first few races or first five or six races that they're going to take a look at. Is it the best indicator? You know, you've got a bunch of street circuits up front. Is that really the best indicator of power? I don't know. Yeah. I think,
0: yeah, the biggest outlier is definitely street and circuit. And there's, there's varying different environmental, uh, issues to that impact engine and impact performance. We've, we talk about the, uh, altitude. I know in Mexico every year, they talk about altitude. They talk about altitude, you know, changes between Austin and Mexico. Those races are typically back to back. And so those are big outliers there in how that would potentially change the outcome of This, But my biggest concern, though, is does this affect the integrity of what it means to be a constructor? Because we talked about this in in, in pre-tape that are we getting one step closer to Formula One becoming a stock series? And if we are, what the hell is the point of of having constructors to begin with, which also it, it takes away the spirit of what Formula One is? so i don't think it's fair to kind of put these performance limitations on teams based off, you know, median data i which is why I, I don't think this is the move i just wonder what they could do long term or if they basically again we've talked we, about this in the past so yeah. that the only way to really handle this is to say, you know, we go, we let's get rid of the spending cap Spend whatever you can. And if you can't spend exactly. it, your team, figure exactly.
1: it out. Exactly. And, and you, hit, you hit the nail right on the head. If you're going to add all of this extra stuff, you can't also have a spending cap.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? Now, putting a spending floor might be a great idea because mm-hmm. if you were a, a manufacturer... A constructor, you know, if you're Williams or Haas, that's coming in and just skating by, just to get reap whatever, you know, whatever you're getting from the series at the end of the year, and maybe you're maybe you're finishing seventh or sixth, and you're getting some extra, you know, more dollars. Fine, but you're never really gonna ever compete with the teams at the top that are able to spend hit the hit the cap, right? Red Bull, Ferrari, Mercedes, McLaren. They can hit their cap. They can hit the $140 million or whatever it is. Mm. If I mean, look at Haas. They had to sign a sponsor just to be able to even spend, get closer to it. So this is where it's like, it's such, it's like talking out of both sides of their mouth, F1, team principles, because you don't want to allow teams into the sport that are ready to spend money because of dilution, but you have teams that are already in it that aren't even really spending the amount of money they should be to be remain competitive. Yeah. So now we're talking about doing things like stock or, or spec, um, balance of performance, and whatnot to make racing more close, tighter, better, when in reality, it all comes down to money. In reality, it all comes down to if these teams could spend the money, it might be uh, better for everybody. And at the end of the day, we're still confused by it because spec would would probably give us better racing. But the purists are going to say, no, we want the most technically advanced vehicles. That's what F1 is. Fine. Nope. Fine. Let's go for it. But then you're going to get a dominant car. You're going to get dominant constructors. It's going to happen. It's happened in every generation of formula one.
0: Yeah.
1: Like it's just, it's, it's almost the nature of the beast. So if that's the case, what's I don't know what the fix is. F1 doesn't know what the fix is.
0: But again, this goes back to the band aid. This mm-hmm. goes back to the fact that the FIA already has a hard time uh, managing its own rules and enforcing its own rules. That mm-hmm. hey, let's instead of just being pragmatic about it, let's add more rules. Yep. <laughs> let's let's make this even more complicated. And if they're trying to to get people um, less interested in Formula One, then I think this is this is this is the formula to do that, because again like and we keep defaulting back to this Christian Horner quote change your fucking car yep you know and it's why should the FIA be allowed to interfere with what these these constructors are doing i i i see that taking this the integrity and the spirit of the sport away um i see a lot of people leaving the sport if that if that becomes the case and and you can't have a successful Formula One without the right players involved. I mean, we yeah. talk about Gunther Steiner; he's he's unfireable because of who he is now. And you've got Christian Horner, Toto Wolf. I mean, people love this sport also because of the drama between between the team principals. Um, they love the the characters of the drivers and and the things that they say. And it's I I definitely see f1 kind of losing its its moxie its swagger its its influence if these people leave the sport because they're like what's the point of competing anymore yeah we're not competing anymore
1: (sighs) but so what is it you know what have we become what is it what it has uh
0: Everything What are we? Everything goes back to get rid of this, get rid of the, the spending cap. It makes no sense. Put in a spending floor. If you can't keep up with formula one, then get out, let somebody yeah. else take over and see what they can do. And, you know, yeah, I, I don't think people like having this whole musical chairs of teams, but at the same time, you know, this is, this is evolution, really. It's, it's the, the strongest are going to survive. And if you can't, Credit, then buy. It's no hard feelings. But no. if the point is to have the best teams on track, the best product on track, then why are you stifling that? Like, where are the team principles to to kind of, you know, end this madness? I mean, I think if they said to the FIA, look, these are our terms, this is what we want. I mean, they'd have to maybe move on that and do something. But then again, it's because they complained about, about Mercedes spending half a billion dollars, why we have the spending cap in the first place. So we know the teams can be influential. I just think right now it's like they're trying to protect their place in Formula One at the detriment of the on-track product. And that's not a good thing long-term. Right now, sure, playing the political game, it's it's fun in games. But long-term, it's I don't think they're going to have the... Um, the outcome that they're that they're hoping for. So, I don't know. Well, I think,
1: it's it's all, go ahead.
0: Uh, I was going to say, I think that also goes back to our, our you know our final point that we wanted to talk about how Aston Martin is leveraging F one yep. for commercial sales. I mean, they're putting on a clinic right now on how it's done. Um, did you see in Monaco? Um, and it can, how uh, Lance Stroll was presenting the car in front of tons and tons of celebrities and they were all posting about Aston Martin. And, you know, they make Aston Martin look really freaking cool now.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, Aston Martin is always, to me, it's, it's, always, always, been
0: it's always been cool, but I'm talking about like as the team itself. Last year, not so much, but this year it's like everybody wants something to do with, with Aston Martin.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there's there's definitely a lot of, I'm not saying Fernando's the only reason because they, they did have a world four-time world champion on their team last mm-hmm. year, but there's a big difference between Fernando and Sebastian. Mm-hmm. Very big difference as to who they are right now in their career. If this was Sebastian during his um, four world championships, yes, it would be crazy. Um, there's something about Fernando kind of on that revenge, on the villain, Uh there's something about that. That makes it cool. Yeah, I think. And Aston Martin right now is they're, they're the hot team, right? It's, yeah. it's almost as if fine, we've accepted Red Bull is going to dominate and win, but like who's coming in second and Aston Martin is right there. They're there at the right time. Um,
0: but also, what's crazy to that though is that I think Mercedes is what one or two points behind Aston Martin and the constructors right now.
1: It's essentially Aston Mercedes is uh, one point behind. Yeah. Basically, Fernando Alonso.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <I> exactly. Mean... <laughs> exactly. But still, I'm saying like, you know, the fact that Mercedes is even hanging right now with with Aston Martin is is pretty phenomenal. But I think this kind of goes back to. We talk about the influence that F one has, and right now, I, I I know that at a Financial Times Future of the Car Summit, Lance Stroll was asked about the impact, or Lawrence Stroll, sorry, Lawrence. was asked <laughs> asked about the impact on commercial car sales, and Lawrence said, "We race on Sunday and we sell on Monday."
1: Yep.
0: And. Yep. I mean they've sold upwards of 400 vantage edition cars obviously that they got the safety car um, and I think they've said that they have uh, made around two hundred or, or each car is to about two hundred thousand USD they they've made between sixty to eighty million dollars off these car sales yeah um, I mean that there's no coincidence everybody wants that car because it's the safety car. It's it's like the Mercedes right now, the uh, AMG 1. Mm-hmm. It's closer. It puts F1 technology closer to fans than ever before. And it's I mean even that car has the hybrid drivetrain which produces 1049 horsepower. It's it's all influenced by Formula One. And so I I think that if you're a team and you're a constructor that is also a car manufacturer, there's a lot that you can leverage there. And it seems like ever since, like really the the rebrand of Aston Martin, that that's kind of been the direction that they're going in. And maybe they're taking a lot of their cues for Mercedes in this, but it's it's working for them.
1: Yeah. No, I, I think they're in the right spot right now and it's hard to, Argue what they're doing is uh, is like the wrong move, right? Like it seems yeah. like Lawrence has made some good moves here. Um, obviously, on track performance makes a difference. Mm-hmm. You know, let's not their safety car. They've had the safety car. I think it's this is the second year or third year now that they've had the safety car with, uh, with with Mercedes. So it's not exactly like this is brand new. I think it's the fact that you're now getting successful. And so the Aston Martin brand is at the tip of the tongue again. Yeah. Which I think we could save this for another episode, but actually I, I do. I'm going to leave. We're going to, This is, I want to leave off on this. Is Formula One a better marketing tool than it is a racing series? That's mm. not, I don't want to answer it right now. I want to look into yeah. it a little bit deeper, but is Formula One a better marketing vehicle than it is? an actual racing series at this point. Yeah. At this point and where it is.
0: But again, I think that also goes back to the signage we see on track. I think that partially answers it, but yeah, let's, let's definitely tuck into this on another episode. Any parting thoughts?
1: Ah, uh, no, I, I'm, I'm, a, you know, we've got, uh, Spain this weekend, which will be, uh, interesting. There's some new up, <laughs> Upgrades coming. Um, It looks like Ferrari actually has brought a Red Bull-esque side pod, um, which, yeah, is also uh, interesting they went in that direction, right? Um, Yeah. There is... There's yeah, there's a lot. I don't know Spain. I'm, I'm just I'm gonna be watching Spain. I'm gonna be seeing what happens here. I, I do think it's gonna be another Red Bull. That's um, gonna be another Red Bull domination. To be quite frank, and I am uh, I I am I'm kind of looking forward to another break in the F1 season because <laughs> there's a lot of other good racing that's happening and there's the Detroit yeah. Grand Prix this weekend. Um, IndyCar that should be fun to see how they follow it up. But uh, no, no, other than that, nothing really partying.
0: I am manifesting a Lewis Hamilton podium.
1: Hey, nice. um, <laughs> go for it! I'm
0: also manifesting that Mercedes uh, copies uh, the Red Bull floor. But we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll see what happens later on in the season.
1: I think we're gonna. I think we're more likely to see Red Bull copy the zero pod side pod. <laughs> And, and make it work and succeed.
0: That would be wild. And I think they should do that just to, again, if Christian Horner really wants to like piss Toto Wolf off and make better TV, do it. Unveil no pods and win.
1: <laughs> Seriously. And if that we, happens, that'd be fantastic.
0: We love chaos. Anyway, that's all we got today, guys.
1: Be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast player uh, for this edition of the VF1 show. I am Vincenzo Landino.
0: I'm VF. See you on the next one. Thank you so much for tuning into the VF1 show. If you liked it, please don't forget to hit the subscribe button. And for previews of next week's show, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the VF Castro and Vincenzo Landino.